Good morning, Covenant College. I was enthusiastic. You guys are excited. I can tell. Um, I feel like I should offer a prayer for the clouds to stay parted so that you guys stay in the sun. I almost bailed out so I could sit over there with Carl in the sun. Um, but instead, I'm here. And I'm delighted to be with you guys this morning um, to share with you uh, some reflections, uh, what I'm going to call uh, pandemic lessons, uh, a personal reflection um, on lessons that I've learned over the last year. Um, lessons I've learned about our needs during this time of pandemic. And it would be accurate to say um, that these are not lessons I'm learning uh, or needs that I'm identifying for the first time, but I am learning them in a new and in a deeper way um, as a consequence of the experiences that we've all shared over the last uh, year plus. Um, these aren't really earth-shaking insights. They're more sort of kind of yeah, duh uh, insights, sort of like that, you know, Brian Fickert is really tall thing that you know, but then when you actually stand next to him, you're like, oh wow, he is really tall. Um, those sorts of insights. So I have three pandemic lessons for you this morning, maybe, maybe three and a half. Um, the first of which is that uh, the news makes us dumb. Uh, we live in an age of information plenty. Uh, some might even say information overload. Uh, we're constantly washed over with information um, and discerning signal from noise in the midst of the whirlwind of information that's flying around us is not easy. Uh, it can be disorienting to try to make sense of what's going on in a global health crisis when you have more information sources uh, demanding your attention than you could ever hope to listen to. Uh, I think I sort of knew that previously, or at least I assented to that as a, as a reality, but I did not know it uh, in my bones or in my gut until I found myself forced to make decisions that had real and dramatic impact on thousands of people, including all of you, um, to make those decisions in short order uh, with not as much good information as I would have wanted and a whole lot more bad or conflicting information than I ever would have cared for all coming at me from seemingly every direction. Um, all that information is not always helpful, um, in part because it comes uh, with a slant. Um, there was a really great article published in the New York Times a few weeks ago entitled Bad News Bias. Uh, it was a story on a study that was done by a Dartmouth economist um, who evaluated uh, media coverage of COVID-19 um, and found that the U.S. national news media were far more negative in their coverage of COVID-19 than scientific journals or regional news coverage or, or international media, regardless of liberal or conservative bent. All those national news sources tended to be negative. Um, and the study suggested that this was because bad news sells. Um, the author suggested of this article suggested might be because uh, journalists are into critical thinking. Um, either way, news tends to come with a slant. Um, that's no news to you, I know. But an even more fundamental problem uh, than media bias is just media frequency. Um, how many of you guys have seen uh, News of the World, the Tom Hanks movie? Anyone? A few hands out there? I guess you guys aren't going to movie theaters these days. Um, really great story. Um, for the purposes of my reflections, the most notable thing about it is that Tom Hanks um, is a news writer and he rides around to different communities in post-Civil War Texas and he reads the news to people. So those people got their news uh, every few months. Um, 
we get it at least daily now. Um, dailiness of news is, in fact, a problem. Um, there was a really great book written about 20 years ago by a professor down at the University of Florida named John Somerville um, entitled How the News Makes Us Dumb, the Death of Wisdom in an Information Society. And he says that when you sell uh, news, when you sell information, you have to make each day's news seem important. So you reduce uh, the importance of other news um, by taking away context. You decontextualize. Uh, but decontextualized information does not lead to understanding or wisdom. And of course, of course that effect is exacerbated by cable news, the 24-hour news cycle. Um, I'm old enough that I remember when the news came on in the evening at 6 p.m. and then there might be a late night news program at 10 and there were three channels. Um, and anytime something was breaking news, that meant the news station was breaking into regular program. Uh, now when you watch the evening news, every single headline is breaking news, um, at which point nothing is breaking news. So the news cycle doesn't help us and, and um, I would say that just as the news is making us dumb, uh, so too uh, is social media. Everything that a critic like John Somerville uh, has to say about news and media could of course be said of social media as well. Um, I don't have to tell you all because you grew up with it. Um, most of you are uh, entering your teen years after the advent of the smartphone and the ubiquitous presence of social media apps. Um, you all know that there are pernicious dimensions to uh, social media. I would imagine some of you have watched the, the Netflix documentary or docudrama Social Dilemma or your parents have made you watch it as I did my children. Um, a little bit cheesy at times, uh, but interesting. There are no doubt positives to social media. It's a great way to maintain connections. It's a great place to post cute photos of your puppy or your cat. Um, we also know that there are some real negatives um, to social media. The correlations uh, between uh, growth in teen, teen suicide numbers and the growth of social media are well documented. Um, it's a business model that's driven by attention and our attention to be, tends to be drawn toward wrecks that make us rubberneck on the highway or conflict or danger or threat or outrage. Um, and algorithms push those types of posts to the forefront of our feeds, uh, preying on our desire to be affirmed in our views and to be outraged at those views of our ideological uh, opponents. Um, a little over a year ago, I read Jaron Lanier's book, 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts Right Now. Uh, I'd highly recommend it to you. It's a great little book. It's also very short and easy to read. Um, I can't repeat all of his arguments because they're not safe for chapel. Um, but uh, he, as a, as a tech pioneer, is convinced that it's undermining truth um, and inhibiting our ability to relate well uh, to one another. Um, I recently read a book uh, by a Duke professor named Chris Bale um, that was entitled Breaking the Social Media Prism. And he argues that uh, the rapidly growing gap between social media and real life is one of the most powerful sources of political polarization uh, in our era. Um, he says that social media uh, does, helps us do something that we as humans are hardwired to do, to present different versions of ourselves and to get feedback on those from other people and then to revise our identity uh, accordingly. Um, and so he argues that social media, uh, rather than being an echo chamber, is more like a prism that refracts our identities. Um, and the problem in, he argues, in the time of this pandemic is that the social media prism was refracting uh, the most extreme people on the political spectrum and muting the moderates in the middle. Um, 
processes that reinforce each other and that embolden extreme folks on the extreme edges of the spectrum to express increasingly radical beliefs and that disenchanted moderates kept them from uh, participating. So for those of us who are interested um, not just in creating identities but in uh, pursuing truth and wisdom as opposed to just raw data or decontextualized information or opinion, uh, we have to find ways to disconnect from the nonstop flow of news and information that comes flying at us from cable television and traditional media and social media, etc. Um, we need to connect to ancient sources of wisdom, in particular uh, for us as followers of Jesus Christ, the truths of Scripture. And to, um, we need to connect to well-developed and carefully reasoned perspectives that are provided by those who have given themselves to the pursuit of truth. Um, we need uh, wisdom and not just information. So that was one lesson that was really impressed upon me over the last 12 months. Uh, the second of my pandemic lessons um, is that we need each other and not just in virtual form. Um, I was tempted to say we need community uh, but we have so many words around here that start with C, covenant, college, calling, church, community, confession, creation, culture. So I said, we need each other. Um, I was in Washington, D.C. a few weeks ago. I spoke with a, a U.S. senator there who told me that his greatest concern for our society in the U.S. domestically um, is the loneliness epidemic. Um, and there is uh, a loneliness epidemic going on in the United States uh, right now. It's the consequence of the breakdown of civic culture and of social ties uh, that was very well outlined by Robert Putnam in his book, Bowling Alone, The Collapse and Revival of American Community. Um, there's a long-standing tension in American culture between community and individual. Um, any of you who read uh, Alexis de Tocqueville in high school uh, might remember what he had to say about individualism, a calm and considered feeling which disposes each citizen to isolate himself from the mass of his fellows and withdraw into the circle of family and friends. With this little society formed to his taste, he gladly leaves the greater society to look after itself. Um, this move away from embodied community and toward individualism uh, is something that's of concern to a lot of folks. Uh, Vivek Murthy, doctor uh, who's the current Surgeon General of the United States, wrote a book last year entitled Together, The Healing Power of Human Connection in a Sometimes Lonely World. Um, I just read uh, a book by Eric Jacobson, who's a Presbyterian pastor in Tacoma, Washington, entitled Three Pieces of Glass, Why We Feel Lonely in a World Mediated by Screens. Uh, Jacobson argues that, quote, we live in a culture that has experienced a profound crisis of belonging, largely because we've insulated and isolated ourselves from people, place, and story by encasing ourselves behind three pieces of glass, windshields, TV screens, and smartphones. Uh, he sees these as representative of the technologies that we've embraced that serve to separate us from one another. Uh, we need to be together physically, face to face in order to foster real relationships, real community, to understand one another, to navigate differences, to enjoy real fellowship. Uh, we need this more so in a time of pandemic than ever, uh, more so in a time of social unrest than ever, more so in a time of political polarization than ever, um, more so in a time of Zoom than ever. Uh, we're not just characters uh, or faces on a screen. Um, our embodied presence, our, physic our physical physicality matters. Uh, if you read the Bible, 
Uh, you see there that bodies matter to God. If you understand the history of Christianity, you know that this is a truth that our forefathers and foremothers in the faith uh, fought for against uh, early Christian heresies that devalued the human body. Um, Jesus Christ was incarnate. Um, he was made flesh. The second person of the Trinity did not come as an avatar or as an image on a screen. He could have probably, um, but he did not. He came as flesh and blood um, as a human being uh, to dwell among us, to walk with us. And I think we've felt the importance of embodied connection uh, over the past year uh, via its absence. I think we felt it in profound ways. Um, I suspect many of you know folks who have been sick or you know elderly folks who have been isolated from others. Uh, the impact of social distancing on those uh, some even of our mid, in our midst have lost uh, grandparents or in-laws or parents in a time when it was hard um, or sometimes impossible to be with those people. I was just talking to my executive assistant last week. Uh, she's getting ready to have a baby, um, and her uh, only her husband can be with her in the hospital, not her mother, not her older daughters. Uh, it was difficult for me. My mother was diagnosed with cancer um, in September, and I have... Uh, vivid memories of going over to her home um, to stand on the porch and wave to her and talk to her through uh, the glass window because um, she couldn't be exposed uh, to someone who might be carrying a disease. Um, we certainly have been sensitive to this need to be together here on the campus. Um, not being able to be together packed into the chapel um, has been hard. Not being able to gather in small groups uh, to participate in our normal activities. In this last year, it's been painfully evident uh, that we need each other uh, physically, not just on a screen. My third uh, pandemic lesson, uh, the third reminder I took from the pandemic, um, is that we need uh, the gospel. Um, I don't think we can do the embodied together thing uh, without it. Um, without the powerful and world-changing and life-shaping truths of the gospel, the reality of a creator God who created us with purpose, um, who created all human beings uh, in his image uh, without the reality of grappling with the fall uh, and the impact of sin in our world, um, without the gospel truth uh, of the necessity of repentance and also the possibility of forgiveness, uh, which is not a thing in many popular uh, present-day ideologies. Um, we need the promise of a world made new, um, the reality that Jesus is reconciling all things to himself. Uh, I know there are not many of you who were able to be here last summer when we had our uh, service of confession and lament out here on the chapel lawn um, when Kevin Smith from New City Fellowship uh, gave us a charge and reminded us um, that we are one covenant uh, because of the gospel, because we are united in Christ. And I am more convinced now after the last year than I have ever been, that there is only one hope for this world, um, and that hope is Jesus Christ. Uh, we can't live in peace together. We can't be at peace with ourselves or with the God who created us without the remarkable, redeeming, and reconciling work of Jesus Christ. So those were my three top lessons uh, from the pandemic. Uh, I suspect I would hope uh, that many of you could say that you took away similar lessons yourselves. And so my encouragement to you is not to get sucked into uh, or back into the nonstop 
hyperactive deluge of information um, that's so often presented to us in our virtual world. Uh, information is not wisdom. Uh, don't forget the reality is more and is different than what you see in the news or what you see on your screen. Secondly, I'd encourage you not to settle for virtual substitutes for real embodied community. Um, it's a temptation to do that because we can. We have the technological ability to do it. Um, just because we can do something uh, doesn't always mean we should. Uh, that's a real temptation in a technologically advanced society like ours. Uh, we always need to be asking, how does this innovation or this technology impact us as human beings, as those who are God's image bearers, um, who have been created with bodies, uh, who are communal creatures and finite creatures? Um, I mean, we're, we're in a tough spot as followers of Jesus Christ right now. Uh, we are fighting against the pressures of consumerism and of technology and of relativism. We're struggling to break out of uh, the imminent frame, the default in our culture that says that there's nothing beyond what we can see, uh, pushing back against expressive individualism. And in the midst of this battle for uh, our minds and our souls, um, we need not to forget uh, that there is a real good in giving ourselves to a real and embodied community. So don't get sucked back into the nonstop hyperactive deluge of information. Uh, don't settle for virtual substitutes for real embodied community. And whatever you do, do not let go of the gospel, um, the good news that the Son of God became man. He lived a sinless life. He willingly gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins. He rose from the dead, conquering death and inaugurating his kingdom, his rule over all things. He is reconciling all things to himself. He is making all things new. He's making me new. He's making you new. Um, we need that good news. Um, our world is broken. It is marred by sin. It's a beautiful place, as we can see around us today, and it's also a wreck. Um, our society is a wreck. We are wrecks, uh, but thanks be to God, we have a loving Savior who gives us new life. Uh, we serve a perfect, holy, and righteous God um, who forgives um, and who by his Spirit enables us to forgive. Uh, we need this gospel that has the power to bridge all divides, to unite us with God and with one another, a gospel that culminates in the vision of Revelation 7-9, when people uh, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages are gathered together in worship of the living God. So I'd encourage you, as we look toward uh, coming out of this strange season, uh, don't forget to go to church, uh, to read your Bible, to pray, to expose yourself to the ordinary means of grace. Those ordinary means of grace are a lifeline in these extraordinary times. They help us to escape uh, the tractor beam of the in, imminent frame. Um, they impress the gospel on our hearts and shape our lives to be more like that of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So don't take for, gra for granted the fact that our loving God has provided the means by which we can all be reconciled to him and that he's knitting us together into one covenant community, one body of those who have been redeemed and reconciled to him. He is making all things new. In a challenging time in our history um, as a country, uh, that really is good news. Um, so as a reminder of the hope we have in the gospel, uh, let me close uh, by sharing with you what will be a familiar passage. Um, 
This is Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 uh, through 5, where John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. After a long, hard year, um, that is some really good news. Let's pray. Almighty God, we are grateful um, for the promise that you are making all things new. That by the work of your son, the first fruits of the new creation, by the work of your spirit in us and in this world, um, you are redeeming those who are lost, including us. You are sanctifying them and you are restoring your creation. Father, uh, as we face challenges and trying times, we pray that you would um, help us not to forget that good news. Help us to live in light of that good news. Father, help us not to forget the blessings of being called into community, into your body, the church, into this community. Father, keep us faithful. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.